This is my journey, inspired one story at a time. A library of leaders was created. It began as a journey to learn. As time went on, it began to grow. All it needed was a platform, and this podcast was created to listen, to inspire, to share. I am a storyteller, and this is my journey. Welcome to another episode of Profiles in Leadership. I am Steve Anderson, your host, and today our guest is Scott Drake. Scott is the founder and executive director of Jump Coach. His roots uh, are from the tech world, including positions with Microsoft and other startups in the Silicon Valley. We discuss in this uh, great interview uh, employment engagement and how leadership teams can work better together. He has great insight into what mistakes many leaders uh, make and and offers good and practical solutions to improving leadership skills. He went on a five-year journey to study leadership and has taken that knowledge and now coaches executives to not make the same mistakes that he did in becoming a business leader. Please help me welcome Scott to the program. Welcome to the program, Scott. Really glad to have you today. Hey, Steve. Thanks so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. So why don't you just start out by letting us know, you know, where'd you grow up and, uh, and what was your career path as you started into this business world that you work in today? Yeah, sure. So I am from Kentucky and I am back and living in Louisville, Kentucky right now. Um, you know, kind of as a kid, I, I guess I was kind of always a little bit entrepreneurial. Uh, we lived uh, about, uh, we lived kind of in between Cincinnati and Louisville on a little farm and when I was about 10. I talked my dad into letting me put in about a, about a half an acre of potatoes, and uh, I was gonna with the idea that I was gonna sell them, and that didn't happen. The the, the crop failed, and I learned quickly at ten years old about <laughs> crop failure and being an entrepreneur. So so no so I mean yeah so I came up uh, got into technology in my early twenties, um, right as the web was was, was coming uh, together, and ended up uh, landed out at Microsoft in the late nineties. Uh, and kind of just rode the tech wave of, of you know, Web 1.0, Web 2.0. And, um, you know, no, probably 20 years ago, really started getting into leadership as well. I've always kind of been that entrepreneur and always kind of that, that interest in leadership and interest in, in how do you work through others and, and those things. So, um, so yeah, and, and I worked up to be a, a vice president of technology at a medical education company, and I left there about a year ago to – uh, to really focus on on teaching leadership and and uh, growing the next generation of leaders and fixing some of the leadership problems. So that's a very shortened version of kind of the arc of of my career through tech. Yeah, that's great. And and I I've read somewhere where you mentioned that your journey into leadership uh, was long and that you made every mistake in the book. So uh, what mistakes do you remember making? And uh, just give us some examples of what you learned from that. Yeah. So I came out of again a very a very technical area. And, and again, I've worked with a lot of doctors over the years who kind of been through some similar stuff. Uh, but it's it's up, you know, you're rewarded for your technical expertise. Uh, you're rewarded for having all the answers. And, you know, that starts in school. That starts, you know, everywhere. And then all of a sudden you become a leader and your job is to work through others to get things done. It's not to have all the answers. It's not to do everything yourself. And so suddenly everything you've been rewarded for and, and where your ego is attached and how you derive self-worth 
is no longer valid. You have to kind of set all of that aside and say, it's not my job anymore to have answers. So I really struggle with that. I struggle with that. It took me a good 10 years to really recognize that, that the problems I was having with my team weren't my team. They were me. Yeah, <laughs> and, it was, yeah. and it was, and it was, you know, it was my ego and my, my desire to, to kind of maintain control that was really holding the team back. So, so yeah, I had a lot of problems with that. I had trouble, you know, when, when I tried to hire, uh, to again go try to find those people that were those experts that had the big skills and you bring them in and then they're bored because i didn't understand that you really kind of have to to match you know their skill level to the jobs and the needs that you have so yeah i made a lot of problems in hiring and, and just all those things so yeah it's, it's it was a it was a journey well it seems uh, and, crazy it just seems crazy that you know we uh, that happens a lot no matter what what profession you're dealing with like somebody really performs well in their job and they say oh we should make them a leader and, um, you know, there's a lot of leadership things and, and management things that need to be considered and practiced and worked on before you just jump in and become good at doing that. Yeah, it's a totally different job. Yeah. Right. I mean, it is, it is a totally different job. It is not just being, you know, I thought going into it that being a leader meant that I was just an expert at my craft. And there was more to it than that, obviously. But that's, you know, 80 percent of it is that you're just, you know, you have all the answers. You're the expert at your craft. You can lead your team. And uh, that's not who people want to follow. That's not how you're going to get good value working through others. And, and it, it is unfortunate that it, it's we don't do a good job of teaching that. Uh, we don't do a good job of helping people realize that. And that's why the world is full of bad, you know, good people who are bad bosses. They just they just have never really kind of leveled up their thinking and, and understood that it's a different game altogether. You know, and it leads me to think that, you know, uh, leadership development programs are good and, and we learn a lot from that. And, and I think good visionary companies have leadership development programs. But it makes me also think that do you think that leaders need to make those mistakes sometimes and learn from them and kind of try things and crash and burn and and that's good experience too you probably can't teach all of it uh into being a good leader i think i think how do you how do you you know teach a kid to not touch a stove as you let them touch the stove so i think i think there is an element that until people burn out and until people realize that you know i'm the problem with some of the challenges on the team then yeah i think that there is a certain level where people have to experience it but what i've also found is that if you point it out to people then they can change pretty quickly like they're happy to say oh you mean i don't have to have all the answers you mean my team will still trust me if i challenge them right instead of me just winging it and trying to be the hero if i step back and i let them be the hero then they're actually going to like me better and they're going to respond better to me as a leader. So the job of a leader isn't to be the hero, it's to be the hero maker. And and if you tell people that and you can show people that, then they, they don't have to make as many mistakes. Because the danger of letting people make mistakes is that they can ruin a great team. Right. They can yeah. they can they can, you know, I, I've seen uh, new leaders. I mean, I, I kind of joke around that I, I went out and started learning how to teach leadership because I was tired of watching new leaders wreck my teams. And a leader can wreck a team really fast. And so to me, it's, it's, it's my goal is to not let them learn too much from, from the mistakes and to at least help them recognize that, that it's the mindset as much as it's anything. Yeah, and I think you mentioned it earlier that that first step, which you said uh, you realized, was that it's that self-awareness. You know, it's, it's me who needs to change and learn and get better. You know, a lot of times you hear, oh, you know, I'm dealing with these people from this generation or that generation, and they're just so hard to deal with. And, uh, you know, uh, maybe it's time to look in if you have that attitude. 
Yeah, I mean, that's your job, right? I mean, the, your job is to get value by working through other people, right? It's not your job to have all the answers. It's not your job to do everything. And if you don't want to do that and you don't like that, then don't be a leader, right? Go find something else to do. Yeah, good point. So tell us a little bit about Jump Coach and what, what is the mission of that company? Yeah, so Jump Coach, our mission is really to shortcut that learning curve. You know, we basically, our primary product is what we call an accelerator. It's a leadership accelerator program, which is is trying to answer the question. You know, again, it took me about 10 years. It took me about a good decade to really level up and be effective and, and build and run healthy teams. And as I said, I don't have 10 years to watch new leaders wreck my team. So I was trying to figure out how do I do this in weeks, not years. And um, so, yeah, so I kind of embarked on about a five-year research project to say, what is it that we're really trying to, to change? What are we, how are we trying to get people to transform? And then how do we accelerate that? How do we do that quickly? Um, and yeah, so we run a, what we call an accelerator program, which is, which can be self-paced. It takes, you know, 10 to 12 weeks is what we typically suggest people to do, or it can be coached. Uh, people would rather work with a coach, but yeah, it's really about helping people become complete leaders, really understand all the facets of the job, and do it much quicker than the trial and error of, uh, of what, of what many of us have lived through. Yeah, exactly. You know, if you could start over as a new professional entering the business world now, what would you do different? Um, uh, how, how would you do something that would shorten that uh, leadership journey that you described? Well, the, the biggest change is to is to really step back and start looking at the world through the eyes of your teammates and looking at the world through what other people need and and recognize that it is your it's your job now to work through them not do the work yourself right so so the real shortcut comes from uh stopping and paying attention to how you respond uh in in certain moments like in in delegation and in uh, when people come and ask you for help to try to solve a problem, it's not your job to solve the problem. It's it's your job to help them think through it and solve that problem themselves. So so it's really about would be about um, you know I was very much trying to stand out from the crowd. I was very much trying to get attention so that I could you know create opportunities and get opportunities. And I was such a good expert that those opportunities were a little bit slow to come because I had I was producing so much value as the expert that they didn't want to take me off that expert track and put me on the leadership track. But then, but then once I got on that leadership track is when I, I really wish I could have known to shut down that expert brain, that expert thinking and shift into the leadership brain and leadership thinking. Yeah. You know, you bring up a really good point and the, you know, as a coach myself, um, you know, people do, uh, hire you or want to work with you sometimes for you to give them the answer. And there really no, there is no formula, and there is no answer, as you suggested earlier. It's more like uh, guiding somebody through the process of them figuring out themselves what the answer is, and then how to how to implement or how to how to move that answer forward with the team. Yeah, I mean, it, and in, in leadership, you know, there's a couple of foundational pieces. Like everybody needs to grow their emotional intelligence. Everybody needs a growth mindset, right? So those are two of the, you know, so when, when, when we look at like our accelerator program, those are a couple of very early things that we do. 
and then we give people a scorecard. Like, I mean, people need to recognize that that there are different goals of leadership. There's four different goals, and there's there's different jobs. But different people are going to balance those differently, and people are going to do them differently, right? There's no single right way to do it. So it's really about understanding the mindset and then understanding those goals and then finding your own way, right? It's every leader is going to lead differently. Uh, teams need different things from their leaders, so there really is no one one right way to do it. And it really is just about uh, embracing that and embracing that that's what it means and that's the reality of it. And then, you know, go play the game. It's like, you know, it's like being a chef or being a basketball player, right? There's a lot of different ways to cook even the same meal. Or there's a lot of different ways to play the game of basketball, right? It's the same thing with leadership. There's a bunch of different ways to do this. So go find what works for you and have fun doing it. And uh, this may be uh, uh, kind of what you just said, but how, how do you make that leap from being, to say, a role player to um, to a leader that's an effective leader? So, I mean, it really does come down to, to choice, right? That's the way we put it to people, right? You choose to become a leader. Right. You, and, and what that means, though, is that you are also choosing to no longer be the expert. You're choosing to no longer have all the answers and to be OK with that and, and to and to detach your ego from from, you know, again, your whole life, all through school, uh, everything. It's it's uh, you're you're expected to have the answers. And if you work with other people, it's called cheating often, you know. So so now you have to truly choose to set that aside and work through other people uh, and, and help them become the heroes of the story. So it truly is about, about a choice. And then it's really um, beginning to observe yourself and how you respond in those situations. Like uh, for me, where I would struggle the biggest is that like a teammate would bring me up, would bring me something and I could see a solution really quickly. And after about five minutes, I would just lose patience and I would just say, just leave it with me, right? <laughs> just leave it with me, I'm gonna do it myself. Right. And if I would have something to give back to them, I would. But think about that from their perspective, right? That that completely is demoralizing and demotivating to them. They're they're you know they showed I didn't trust them, uh, and if I would have just given them a day or two to do it and let them go through some learning curve, then they would have gotten something out of it, and I, as their leader, would have gotten something out of it too, right? I would have now had a team team member who's capable of doing these things. So it, it truly is about just choosing to say, look, this is a different job. And I can't judge myself on the old the old ways, and I have to learn to judge myself in new ways. I think that's really interesting. I, I love how you put that, and I'm not sure I've heard it said in the exact same way before, which we, you're making a choice to no longer uh, be the expert and no longer uh, know the, all the answers. And, and I would say that uh, that's very counterintuitive because I think a lot of people think and feel that now I'm the leader and now that you're the leader – you're the one with the answers, so you know, give the answers. And I, I think you put that really well, that that's, that's almost the opposite of what you become when you step into that leadership role. Yeah, I mean, who gets promoted, right? We promote the best or the most senior, right? But, but it's, it, again, it's a truly it's a different job. And the best or the most senior is rarely a person who is well-suited for that. So again, it's, it's, that's actually one of the things that we teach them to pay attention to, right, is that um, this idea of I want to be the best or I want to be seen as the best is, is from the expert mindset. It's from your ego being attached to being an expert. And that's, that's one of the things that you, if you start to pay attention to, that you can start to catch yourself, right? That's where emotional intelligence, again, is so important to be able to say, I recognize, I can understand this intellectually, but I can't stop myself from feeling that, but I can recognize when I do feel it and can choose to not act on it. 
And that's 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 what they have to get good at. That's what they have to learn to do. Because trust me, I want to jump in and help my team sometimes, but I know that if I do that, I'm just I'm I'm just gonna gonna destroy motivation. I'm just gonna hurt the team in some way. And it's better to just let them uh, let them work their way through it, unless it's on fire, right? right if something's sure. on fire, I'll jump in. But right. it, but otherwise, yeah, it's it's really about letting them win. Well, and you're creating dependence. Then you're creating dependence on you always being in that position where you're gonna take the monkey on your back. And uh, there's not learning opportunity for the team in that situation. Yeah, yeah. One thing, yeah, the fun thing about leadership is that it's never as efficient as if you did it yourself. Yes. Right? You can always do it more efficiently or faster or better or whatever, and you can define those however you want to. But, you know, so it's, it, you just have to accept that, right? You just have to accept that it's never going to be as efficient as if you did it yourself. Yeah. That's okay. It's a long-term strategy, and uh, if you don't have that approach, then it's not sustainable because you can only do yep. so much. Yep, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting because everyone is striving for a culture of engaged employees, yet the statistics are just grim, you know, on companies today. So what are leaders doing wrong that, that just seem to destroy that employee engagement? What, what, what are we missing? Yeah, so one of the things I actually put it put it this way, and this is probably bigger in tech, and it's actually pretty good in medicine too, having having spent the last few years at a medical education company, is that I, I coach leaders to what I say, what I call lose the competency war. Right? If you understand what causes engagement, right? What makes an employee engaged, then you can start to back into it and say, okay, well, what what causes them to not be engaged? And Daniel Pink wrote a really great book a few years ago called Drive. Yeah, I love and that book. It, yeah, great yeah, book. And in it, in it, yeah, in it, he talks about motivation being based on purpose, growth, and autonomy. Purpose is that you know people want to contribute to something bigger than themselves, bigger than just making money, just bigger than just you know being a more profitable this quarter than we were last quarter. Like that's really good for the executive team, but it's not a good motivator for the team. They need some purpose other than other than just profit. Um, Growth. People want to grow and be better. They want to be better next year than they are today. So, so what are those? Again, if you start taking those challenges off your team's plates that you don't think they can handle, you're taking away those those challenges. You're taking away those opportunities for growth from them. So, growth is another big one. And then autonomy. People want some control over how they work. They want to they want to say in what they're doing, and and they want to feel like their voices matter. So, if you look at so much leadership today, and, and you look for situations where any of those three are violated, then you can start to understand, um, you know, why engagement can suffer. Uh, it's funny, I had a conversation not too long ago with, with, uh, with an executive that she works a lot in, in, in bigger companies, and she's struggling with the leaders who, who, are, who want these at-home workers are like, how do I know they're working? I want them checking in all the time. I want them doing all these kinds of things. But if you look at that, that's completely violating autonomy. And it's basically saying we don't trust them and we're not trusting that they're working. So, so, so much of what you see in leadership, you can, and if there are engagement issues, you can often tie it, tie it back to those three. But the, the competency war, to bring that full circle, the competency war is, is when, again, if I feel my value isn't having the answers and I want to, and that's one way to build trust with your team is to give them the answers. But your team is trying to build trust with you, right? Your team is trying to, to earn your trust at the same time by using their own competency. So, so one of the big ways of, of, of killing motivation is to be trying to out-competence your team, right? And, and I see that. That's probably one of the biggest things that I see, especially from the tech world. 
is that a manager is trying to be the most competent person there to, to keep that trust. And that just completely wipes the motivation of their team away. Yeah, that's really interesting. You know, every executive wants to be a, a good leader. So how do you know when you're being effective and how do you know when you're doing a good job as a leader? So we teach, so there, basically there's, that's a really great question, right? And that's one that I love asking. I love, I love anytime I sit down with leaders, especially with a team of leaders, I'll say, how do you know you're doing a good job, right? What can you observe and monitor on a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month basis that lets you know that you're doing a good job as a leader? And most leaders, surprisingly, don't really have a good answer. A lot of them are just kind of scratching their heads. And, and honestly, when I started ask, asking that question, I didn't have a very good answer either. Uh, so, yeah, I, I kind of went on this, this research project to try to answer that question and uh, basically distilled the learning objectives of a whole bunch of, uh, of graduate-level programs and books and, and all these things down to try to understand what are they actually trying to get you to get, get better at. And basically what we distilled all that down to a scorecard. So if you want to understand, are you doing a good job as a leader? How do leaders know they're doing a good job? It's really they're trying to balance four, four sometimes conflicting goals. Right. Uh, teams exist to get results. You know, again, we've assembled this team to do something right. Run this business, uh, build this product, uh, serve these customers. Is it getting results? Is that working? So that's number one. That's the most obvious. Uh, the second is, is the team engaged? Right. Is the team. Are we getting results in a way that is sustainable from our people standpoint? And again, different businesses are going to balance that in a different way. So so no two businesses are going to have the same desire for engagement versus results. But that's the second one. The third one is enthusiastic customers. Uh, you know, are are we're getting results, but are we doing it in a way that our customers are happy with us? Are they are they enthusiastic? Are they happy that we're on the job? And then the fourth is is to create more leaders. It's basically to make yourself replaceable as the leader, so that you can do other things and that there are other people there that are running the business. So if you look at everything, all these graduate level programs are trying to teach you. You look at all the books on leadership. You can almost tie everything back to one of those four goals that are trying to get you better at those. And you know you're doing a good job if you can measure them and you have a strategic set of you know goals around them or, or they're balanced the way you want to balance them for your organization or your team and uh you know you're you're hitting your goals in all four of those areas so that's how you know you're doing a good job as a leader you know and, and that last point about developing other leaders you know i've always felt it's the leader's uh, job to develop other leaders but sometimes in corporate America, you know, there's there's a fear that, you know, if I give away too many secrets or I, I teach this uh, person up too good, they're going to be better than me. And there's kind of a, um, you know, a, a protect your turf type of mentality. Do you see that in, in clients that you work with? Do you see companies that uh, are afraid to open that up or is that uh, is that an old thing that's gone by? No, I think, and again, I think there is no one set all. I think there are definitely some some people and some companies that that's more prevalent in. And I think it, it really speaks to the culture of the company. Uh, what I always try to encourage people is to say, look, if you're the only person who knows how to do it, then you're not promotable, right? I can't yeah. promote you. If there's nobody to take your place, then you're stuck. That kind of goes back to me being the expert. I was such a good computer programmer that they didn't want to lose me as a computer programmer. So it, it was, it took me a little while to, to, to actually earn a promotion. I had to change companies actually to go, to go get a promotion because I was too valuable where I was. So that's the other side of it is, is don't, you know, sure. If you want to, if you want to run a fight them, go for it. But if you really want to grow and, 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 and do more then yeah, you have to, to, you have to develop your replacement. Yeah. So when you, when you're building an executive team, do you think it's best to hire 
proven leaders uh, from outside the company to come in, or do you think uh, you do better if you develop leaders uh, to ascend from inside the company? I think it depends. I think you kind of have to look at what problems are we trying to solve. Um, does it make sense to have an experienced hand? Does it make sense to 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 give this to somebody as a growth opportunity? Again, people love challenges. Um, I think I think some of the some of the things to really look at, and this gets into some of the hiring stuff that we do as well, is to say, um, number one, you don't want to hire somebody who's going to be bored, right? Don't hire somebody who's done exactly what you need unless it's really challenging and they're just you know unique to do it. Because if they if they're not challenged by it or bored, they're going to find challenges. They're going to make it challenging. They're going to do something to make this challenging in a way that may or may not really be good for your organization. So oftentimes it is better to, to, to let somebody to hire, to hire somebody into a position that's one size too big and let them grow into it. Um, now there, there are, you know, situations where you might not want to do that. Uh, but, but I think generally whether you're, uh, bringing somebody from the, from the inside and promoting them or bringing somebody from the outside and, and leveling them up. Uh, I think it's, it can be a very good strategy. And then speaking of teams, so uh, describe to me what you think a really fine tuned, efficient leadership team looks like. I think an efficient leadership team, they, they understand what it means to be a leader and then they act as leaders. They, uh, they're, they're not a group of experts that are sitting in the boardroom. They're a group of leaders. They've, they've kind of set aside that expert mindset. Um, they're there for the right reasons, right? They, they care about the company. They care about the mission. Uh, there is good alignment between their personal goals and their personal missions and the organization's goal and the organization's mission. They're not there just to cash the paycheck. They're there because there's something there for them. Uh, so, so yeah, they have, they all have a similar mindset. They're there for the right reasons. And then, um, they, they agree on the balance. Again, we, I, I talked about that earlier, as far as you know, the balancing, uh, results with employee engagement, with customer enthusiasm, with creating more leaders. No two companies are going to balance those the same way. And oftentimes you'll see leadership teams where you see one person on the leadership team really striving for results, another really saying we've got to do employee engagement and they're just in complete disagreement. So they're, they're struggling to make uh, decisions or, or to, do, uh, to do the things that they needed to, to move the company forward because they're not in agreement on what forward looks like. So, so it's really about, about having good alignment on how we view ourselves as successful and that we're working toward the same goals as a leadership team. And you've worked in quite a few companies if you you've mentioned and and now you're working with a lot of companies. So do you think most companies take that leadership training seriously or is it sometimes just kind of window dressing to attract employees to the company like we have this but they don't just they don't embrace it uh, for their uh, long-term strategy? I think it varies. I think um, what I still see, which is kind of shocking, is, is you know is somebody who's kind of gone into the into the field, is um, I think a lot of people like the idea of leadership training, and they really like the idea of leadership training for somebody else, but they think they've got it all figured out, and they don't think they need it. <laughs> yeah. um, okay. It's it's yeah. it's um, so it's. Um, you know, I, I can't say whether it's window dressing or what. I, I just think that a lot of people have that false belief that 
you know, I was a great educator, so I'm going to be a great uh, CEO of an education company. I was a great doctor, so I'm going to be great at running running this health practice, right? And again, it's it's a different job, and and people uh, kind of are comfortable and like the idea that it's their expertise uh, more than they like the idea that they're going to have to learn, you know, a new way of thinking and a new mindset and and, and those types of things. So it it is. I haven't been out there long enough and dealt with enough companies to really establish a a firm you know, belief system around this, but I have been very surprised with how many people want it for somebody else, but not for themselves. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. And of course we know for sure that if the CEO or the leadership team doesn't embrace the concept, um, you know, it's just a waste of money because they're still looking at that leadership for, uh, modeling and, and how, how to be in the company. And if they're not living it, uh, you can't teach below it and expect it to happen. Yeah, I, I think, I think a lot of people there's a lot of things in leadership that people know what to do. It's just it, it again it goes back to they intellectually understand it but they emotionally don't don't want to do it or don't have the the desire necessarily to do it. So it's it's um it, it's a challenging thing. It 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 really is. Yeah, and I I've heard sometimes too where people will say well, I know what to do, but I just don't have time to do it, so I want somebody else to do it. Yeah. Yeah, same thing. So what, what do you think a younger generation's approach to leadership development is compared to, you know, saying uh, the older generations? Is it different? Are they looking for things in, in different ways? Um, what have you noticed as far as when looking across generations? So yeah, so some of the studies I've seen, and this is this is also stuff that I'm kind of just getting out there and exploring and just trying to see what what they respond. Um, they they tend to want coaching, right? A lot of them are really interested in working with coaches. They're interested in working with people who can mentor and guide them, uh, which is good. Uh, they're definitely uh, interested in short form, uh, on demand video. Uh, they don't want to sit through a two or three day workshop. They like the status of a two or three day workshop. Hey, my company's going to send me to a workshop, right? That's, that's a good status boost, but it's not necessarily as efficient or as effective, at least at leadership. Like if, if, if you want to, if you said, Scott, run a two day hiring workshop, that would be a great use of, of our time. Uh, turning somebody into a leader is typically a little bit more of a, of a, you know, shorter form, uh, chunks of work over, you know, 10 or 12 weeks, not over two or three days. So, so I think that the younger generation is fairly aligned with, with what I believe is, is, is the better way to educate leaders. Um, and they're hungry. They want it. Uh, it's just a matter of, of getting them to stop long enough and to, um, to kind of create, space for leadership, which a lot of them kind of view as a soft skill more than than some of the harder skills that, that are uh, in the job descriptions for the jobs that they're really trying to get. So kind of what you're saying then is maybe instead of sending uh, uh, a future leader to a two to four week training program where they're just immersed in it all the time, it's better to to do shorter uh, uh, examples of leadership training, let them practice, let them try it, come back, and, and just do it over a longer period of time. That's more effective for younger generations. It's just more effective. for So So you're not – leadership is less about skills and more about attitude and mindset and beliefs. And so it's kind of – if you look at education, you know, 
the it, it really requires active learning. It requires uh, it's not so much we're going to fill your cup with knowledge as much as we're trying to change your beliefs. We're trying to get you to approach and see the world differently. And it's very hard to do that unless they're in the work setting, in a workplace setting. So the biggest, one of the biggest tools we have is, is journaling and journal prompts to say, looking at your day, right? Look for, here's a handful of things we want you to look at. Look for situations where these types of things happened. And then think about how did you respond? How did you feel? And then how did your team respond? And how did they, you know, how do you think they felt, right? So it's really, unless you have some of those real world examples, then it's it's hard to 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 get them to see the mindset change that that's really required for it. So to me, that's why it, it's best really done over, uh, you know, 10, 12 weeks uh, with with daily journaling and and you know and new new information coming in weekly. Uh, but but it's really an active process on their part. Yeah, and I think another way to say that it's that reflection time. So, yep. you know, whether it's journaling or group discussions or whatever, that uh, that reflection of uh, how did it feel, what resonated with me, what doesn't feel right, what, what was I awkward about, um, those kind of things are worth kind of going over and and thinking about and discussing it. Yeah, absolutely, and that's when we when we work with people as coaches. That's what we. That's really where we we try to get them is to, is to say bring bring some of those real world examples with you, and that's what we're going to talk about because that's where the growth happens. You know, it, you can sit and listen to to me teach, and I can be the greatest teacher in the world, but but until you go out and you experience it and you and you find your own way to interpret things and your own way to really to do with these things and see really how your own mind is working, then it's just, you know, that's, that's the, that's the growth that a leader needs, not, not a skill, right? You know, we can learn how to run meetings better. We can learn how to hire, right? Those are things that we have to do, but those are all secondary truly to, to that mindset shift and, and, and to growing, growing in that way. Yeah. And it's like watching a movie or, or watching somebody give a great, you know, keynote speech or something. It's, it's one thing to admire the person doing a very good job of that and, and agreeing with the content coming at you. But until you can visualize yourself being in that same position and doing it in the same way, it's not going to, it's not going to, um, uh, you, you know, hitch as hard. It, 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 you need to kind of go out there and try it and, and see how you do with something like that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, you've mentioned it a couple times in our discussion here today, but you spent five years on a research project uh, to study ways to, you know, teach leadership. And, and what's what's the discovery in that uh, five-year uh, research, and, and uh, what's the big, uh, the big light bulb that went off for you, and, and how are you implementing that today? Yeah, so the big, the big light bulb was really twofold, um, and we've talked about it a little bit already. The first is that it is a mindset shift, right? This is not a skill problem. Generally, this is a this is a uh, how you view yourself as successful, uh, where your ego is attached, and then this this idea of your own status, your own status as a leader. Uh, how do you respond to situations where that may be challenged, or or in in ways in which the world just kind of challenges you naturally, right? How do you respond in those situations is far more important to a person's success as a leader than than skills, and that's something I learned out of a there's a, a Harvard Business Review article about 15 years ago that that really delved into what they call the seven transformations of leadership. And so I, I got into that article and I dug into all the work of the people who who were behind that article, which is a lot. So that was really one of the big pieces that the mindset is is part of it. 
And then the second, the second big one was that leaders couldn't define success, right? It's like you're a basketball team that doesn't understand just your job is to put the ball through the hoop, right? And it's, and it's when, if you can't define success, then you're not going to be successful. And especially if you're a basketball team and you're all playing a different game because you don't agree on what success looks like. So, so that's really the two big ahas for me was that, was that, you know, there's a, there's a huge shortage of good leadership, right? You just look around. I mean, it's, I think everybody tends to see it. Um, but it's really those two pieces that are the root of why, and then the root of also, how do we fix it? Just to start working on those two areas. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I've had this discussion with other guests as well. And, you know, it's like, um, a lot of the CEOs in, in big companies uh, over the last, uh, you know, three or four decades have come out of the finance world and, you know, very analytical approach. And they, they, they look at how they're doing by, you know, profit and loss and dollars and cents. And, and I think companies going forward, there's more to it than that there, you know, it's, it's, of course, you got to make money and you got to, you know, satisfy your shareholders. But on the other hand, you want to create companies where people are engaged and, and, um, you know, there's more to than just focusing on the numbers. Yeah, it's it's the the concept of a triple bottom line is, is becoming, you know, more common, uh, especially in, in, in private companies. Triple bottom line being profit, uh, social responsibility and, and responsibility to to our team. So it's basically, you know, the people in our, in our society as a whole that you have to you have to look out for all three of those. You can't just be so profit centric. Uh, and there's, you know, a lot of debate, especially on public companies that, you know, look, you, you exist to make a profit and that's why you exist. And and it's and it's a challenge because, uh, as I said earlier, people don't really care about profit like the, the workers that you're really dependent upon. They want you to be profitable and stable, but they don't care if profits go up four percent this year over last year. They, they really don't care. Right. Uh, that's not going to get them to stick around and help you. Um, they want something else. So it, it is, it's the workforce is changing, uh, much faster than I think, uh, the, the, um, the financial stakeholders are changing, which is interesting when your labor market, your labor market is now, uh, has more power, like capital markets for a long time have been the source of power. They, 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 uh, they're the ones who are really driving what we're doing in prioritization. But the, the, there isn't a shortage of capital as much as now there's a shortage of labor. So the labor markets are really starting to to uh, drive decision-making and change a little bit more. So it's going to be interesting. It's, it's, it's actually one of the things I'm going to enjoy watching in the next 10 or 20 years to see how that plays out. And so do you think the future CEOs in, in that 10 or 20 years out are going to be more right-brain thinking CEOs than left-brain? I think that the big change that leaders at all level levels are going to really have to adapt to is that um, business school and management school teaches us efficiency, right? Your job is to go in and make things more efficient and to make them work better and to make them, um, you know, ju just uh, uh, efficient for lack of a better word to do it. The, and you manage that in one way, right? But a lot of the work that's routine, the work that's really beneficial, benefited by a focus on efficiency is being now done more and more by machines and by robots and by computers. And the work of people is 
uh, irregular. It's the things that the machines can't handle. It's the problem solving. It, and it's by its very nature cannot be efficient, right? You can't, if you say, Scott, I want you to invent some way to do X. And then you say, but I need you to do that predictably. And you have two hours and you have to do it between the hours of eight and five. And you can't work on it at, at, at you know, midnight, even though that's when you're doing your best work, your most creative work, but you can't run it. You can't run creative work in the same way that you run routine work. So it is the biggest struggle that I see a lot of these managers go through is that suddenly this desire for efficiency is the wrong goal, right? It's not the right goal anymore. Innovation and creativity is the goal of your human resources and you have to manage them differently. And I think if CEOs and frontline leaders and everybody in between don't start learning how to manage in both ways and the flex between them when they're the right approach, then I think that they're really going to struggle with, uh, we talked about engagement earlier, they're going to struggle with, with all facets of the organization. Yeah, it kind of comes back to that, uh, you know, if you try and be perfect or try and work towards perfection, it's just not possible. So at some point you have to kind of embrace the chaos and embrace it's, it's, it's messy. Um, but, uh, you know, that's, that, that should be the goal that that's okay as long as you can work through it and everyone's moving forward. Yeah. I mean, innovative work, you know, and, and again, I came out of tech, so we were often asked to create those efficient systems and, and it's not always, it's very hard to be creative and efficient, right? It's, 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 they're, they're, they're the wrong goals. Like they're the complete opposite of each other. <laughs> and, and it's, and it's, so it was, it's very confusing for the worker to be inventive and creative and be efficient. It, it just doesn't work. And so, but unfortunately, most of the work now for people is that creative work. That's where, you know, the bulk of the work for human beings going forward is going to be that creative work. So when people hire you to come in and, and work with them, it, whether it's a coaching situation or work with their executive team, what are they wanting and what are they, what, why are they seeking your services? So generally it would be, um, alignment. You know, we, we, uh, we can recognize that there's disagreement on the leadership team on what we're doing and why and how, and we need to try to find ways to get better aligned. And there's a lot of tools out there that kind of help with that, but, but it's, it's really, that's, that's one of them. And then the other one is, um, we have new leaders or we're, you know, we're, we're putting in, it's either, you know, an entrepreneur who's putting in their first leadership team and that they want to, to make sure that the people that they're kind of raising into that leadership role actually know what they're doing and then they can collectively work well together. Or sometimes, you know, one of the other ones we're working with right now is uh, they're kind of putting in that second layer of leadership. So that the core leadership team is there, but they're starting to bring in that, that, that mid-level manager and they want to train them. And, and again, get them thinking about it in the right way and then getting everybody working together from the same playbook, right? They can kind of recognize that, that we're, if we're all working from different playbooks, then we're just not going to be as efficient for lack of a better way to put it. They're just not going to work as well together if they're working from different playbooks. So how do we get all of our managers on the same playbook? So those are the types of situations where we're typically brought in. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, you know, doing that, have you discovered anything, uh, starting this new company that, you didn't, uh, I guess that surprised you when you, when you go on and you're working with clients, is there anything that surprised you? I, I think, I think the thing, the thing that has surprised me the most is, uh, and I said it earlier, is that people don't feel like they need training. 
um, or that other people need training but not me. And what's funny is, is it's there's one one COO who I just who just came to me, and I've been working with a couple of his people now for a couple of months, and and he's kind of one of those who didn't think he needed it. And as he starts to see the change in his in his people, and they're starting to come to him and asking him questions, and he's and he's not sure what to do or what to respond or whatever. And then he came to me and he's like, okay, I need to go through this too. You know, so there, so I think that, you know, that's helping, uh, you know, as, as some people in organizations start to, to, to improve and to really start acting like leaders and, and true leaders, and true managers, then, uh, then that can kind of help set the tone for others in the organization. But I think, I think that's been one. Um, and just, I think the general um, lack of investment you know, training is one of those first things that gets chopped, right? We're busy. There's fires to put out, right? I've got to go put this fire out. And they don't stop and realize that the reason that you're putting out fires is because you're not being a very good leader, right? Right. And yeah. your job is to prevent fires, not to fight fires. And if you're busy fighting fires, then you don't have time to prevent them. So it's, it's really – I've been a little bit surprised by that as well. This is just the – there's a lot of – again, people know they need it. But I think I think part of it also is that – there's just been bad experiences. Like, you know, how many books have I've read hundreds of books and um, looking back, I mean, they've all kind of gone into the general knowledge, but it's a lot of training is just not actionable and it's just not very useful. And so I think, you know, you're kind of fighting against that inertia of, well, you know, I've tried, I just didn't find it very useful. And I think that's from, that's where a lot of people are coming from on it as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's real interesting. Well, Scott, usually at this time in the interview, I ask my uh, my guests a common question, and that common question is, in relation to leadership, what is a pearl of wisdom that you can leave us with today? For me, I think I think if so, leadership is working through others to get things done. Right, that's my simple fifty thousand foot definition of leadership. It's working through others to get things done. Again, you're choosing to be a leader and to let other people do this work, and you're choosing to not do it yourself. Right. And if you, but if you think about when and where does leadership happen, right? When is that working through other part happen? And the answer is that is that it happens in small moments of interaction between two or more people. And if in those moments, uh, people may come to you with a question or you may be delegating something or somebody might be sharing an idea. And in that moment, you can either respond in a way that brings clarity and motivation and energy or oftentimes you can do what I did when I was early on in my career, and you can you can add doubt and confusion and demotivation. For example, uh, when somebody shares an idea, your human brain is wired to see every single problem with that idea. And if you if you don't stop yourself, you're going to say every problem that you see with their idea. But what that does is it destroys the motivation, right? So that in that small moment, what you've done when somebody shared an idea is instead of encouraging them and, and adding energy and, and getting clarity to the situation, you've just hurt yourself as a leader. So if I can leave you with one thing, right, it's in those small moments. We, we call them moments that matter. That's where leadership happens. It happens in your ability in small interactions that happen every day, all day, all the time with everybody on your team, that if you respond in those moments well, you're going to be a great leader. But if you respond in ways that 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 hurt the, the motivation or hurt the engagement or hurt, you know, the, the, the team, then you're going to really struggle as a leader. So those are the things that you have to learn to get right. And that's why, again, emotional intelligence is so important. And I think you make a really good point. And I would also add that, uh, you know, you got to trust the process because you can't predict when those small moments will occur. 
you know, it's just uh, if you're going through the process and doing the things that, that you know are, are uh, effective and helping people, whatever, um, you know, the, the small moments and the, the light bulbs come off uh, at times when you might not have been able to predict it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Scott, this has just been a real pleasure talking with you today. Uh, I, I, I admire what you're doing and uh, you have a lot of good points and, you know, I heard some, some unique perspectives today that uh, I don't always hear. So I appreciate you sharing that with us and uh, thanks for being on the show. You're welcome, Steve. Thanks so much for having me. I enjoyed it. Okay. Take care. Thank you for listening to another episode of Profiles in Leadership. To listen to all my interviews, subscribe to Profiles in Leadership with Steve Anderson on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, and many other popular podcast platforms. Some of these interviews are on video, and you can search YouTube for Profiles in Leadership with Steve Anderson. You can also access the entire library of interviews on my website, orange.coaching.com, and that is orangetheword.coaching.com, and go to the Media Center and click on Podcasts or Video Gallery. You can also enter the website from pilpodcast.com. Thank you.